to know truck stops a pack 12 basketball podcast i'm carlos at equity brew and joining me is avery at brave grapes hello and greg at banana Morse. we were geniuses we're prophets uh, stream no truck stops and you will never pick a game wrong what, what are you talking about what are, what are we oh you're talking about the washington state game yeah okay <laughs> yeah we did talk about that one as an oh, interesting we, game. we did pick utah over oregon and looking back on that i'm not sure i'm not sure why we did that <laughs> yeah, yeah not, not, not great not great uh we'll get into that we've got we've got a lot of packs about basketball finally we're in a conference season we were just talking about how like oh my god thank god for pack 12 play i can't believe we finally did it uh it's just so much easier to consume basketball when it's like all the games happen on thursday we get off on friday and all the games happen on saturday and then you got a random ass shitty game on sunday that just feels so much nicer i'm greg you were saying that it's like you don't miss anything yeah like when i when i write the recap for this week normally when i write those there's like a game that i completely forgot about and I'm like surprised to see it on the on the scoreboard. But this time, as I'm writing the recap, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember all of these games. No surprises here. This is great. Don't have to keep up with a bunch of truck stop players either. And no, I don't know who the fuck that guy is, but he looked pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, it's all it's all good. We're in Pac-12 basketball season now. It's great. Anyway, anyway, we'll talk about everything that went down in the Pac-12 this weekend, including some zombie-ass performances from some Pac-12 teams that we thought were dead. Uh, we'll talk about some early uh, thinking on uh, Pac-12 player and coach awards, maybe. Uh, we've also got a great interview with Andrew Crowley of the Run and Hoops podcast. That will get added a little bit later at the end of this episode. But first, a programming note. This Thursday on our Patreon, NoTruckStops.com, Matt and Reed are doing some postmortems of every single Pac-12 football team. They'll go week by week and team by team. They're starting with Colorado on Thursday, January 12th, uh, and then they're going to go every Thursday until they're done. Those are dropping every week. Uh, I've also started doing a, a little series just kind of on a whim called Walk and Talks, where I go on a walk and talk about something Pac-12 related. I don't know, what's on, whatever's on my mind. I was like, yeah, why not? Uh, I enjoy going on walks. And I like talking about Pac-12, so whatever. I'll just talk to myself as if I'm on the phone, but like in a very podcast voice. Uh, I dropped a, a, one of those last week about UCLA's football season and why I thought UW was the best football team in the Pac-12 in 2022. So go check all that out if you're thirsting for football content. Also, Greg, Avery, we are just a podcast standing in front of its listeners, asking them to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. <laughs> we got a new review on Apple Podcasts. It reads, Big Ten Better from uh, Francois DeLeafsuck. <laughs> DeLeafs uh, do suck. I think I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Francois here. Uh, they say, quote, soft, except for Carlos in 2024. Based. Eat shit, grapes. Eat, uh, eat shit, Greg. Anyway, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All right, enough horsing around. Let's just get right into it. We had a lot of fun basketball go on in the Pac-12. So let's get to a recap of all that went down in the league this weekend. Greg, how about you uh, take us away? So uh, Utah won a comfortable game over Oregon State and then lost to Oregon in the exact same way they've been losing to Oregon for the last 10 years. UCLA won a very close one over USC uh, with Jalen Clark once again being the best player on the floor. ASU beat Wazoo in a game where they held them at arm's length for most of it. Uh, Colorado beat the shit out of the Oregon schools because, as Don McLean likes to say, before and after every commercial break of every Pac-12 game that he calls, whether whether Colorado is affiliated with it in any way, uh, Tad Boyle 
always wins after bad losses. So good job, Colorado. Uh, Cal murdered Stanford, proving that nothing makes sense and God isn't real. Uh, (laughs) Finally, and most notably, Washington State blew out Arizona at the McHale Center, giving Tommy Lloyd his first home loss as a head coach. Oh boy, a lot to get into here. Let's start with probably the most consequential game of the weekend. I know Matthew Bertson, who just logged onto our Discord. Uh, hi, Matthew Bertson. He's gonna he has many thoughts, I'm sure, about Wazoo, Arizona. 100% mm-hmm. this man watched that <laughs> basketball game. Uh, let's start with that one. Wazoo stunned the West Coast, and beat Arizona in the McHale Center. 74-61, as Greg alluded to, the Cougs snapped Arizona's 28-game home win streak, uh, and they handed Arizona its second conference loss of the season. So much happened (laughs) in this game. So, Avery, we can start with you. What stuck out to you from this game, uh, and did you get to watch much of it? I just wanted to say that I believed. I believed where others doubted in this Washington State program. They have faced so many injuries and bullshit. And so their record's been like a lot worse than their team actually is. And it's been kind of just frustrating. But I believed in Muhammad Gay and he prevailed. He had a great game. He was very fun to watch. Um, I think something that stood out to me is how bad Kirk Carissa has been. Uh, yeah. Not even he's just in this brutal. game. Like for the last like four or five games, I feel like he's mm-hmm. just been ass and nowhere and we talked about this at the beginning of the season like in the absence of the players that they lost they still have a lot of talented guys on the team but they still have to use Kerr Carissa to make things happen and I didn't think that is a good solution to anything because as I've said before Kerr Carissa is like the most hot and cold player in this conference and when he's bad he's bad and I definitely think that showed in this game so yeah I I think it's a very impressive win for Washington State, not only like beating Arizona, but beating them in the McHale Center. That's not an easy thing to do. That place is like a very hard environment to play in. So I am a Kyle Smith believer. I have never doubted in the Cougs. Kirk Risa, 10 points off three for 13 shooting, three rebounds, and just three assists to go along with two turnovers. Brutal game from him. Greg, what stuck out to you about this game? Did you get to watch much of it yourself? Yes, uh, I did not watch the whole thing, but I did get to go back and see most of what I missed. And the thing that stuck out to me the most in this one was just how it's becoming clear that you can expose Arizona defensively, and Mm. Washington State gave everyone a very good blueprint on how to do it. You put uh, Tubelis and Balo in space, and they just can't hang. Uh, (laughs) they, They got embarrassed, I think, defensively by Washington State in this game. Uh, this was not one of those games where, like, it felt, like, much in the same way, I guess they won in different ways, but in the same way the Utah game did not feel super fluky because Utah did some things that were actually sustainable uh, when defending Arizona. While attacking Arizona, Washington State did some things that I think other teams are going to try and emulate in putting Tabellis and Balo in space on the perimeter and then just attacking them because I don't think they can. I don't think they can defend like that, and uh, it's going to be a problem. Arizona is going to have to solve because, woof, it looked bad. Yeah, defensively, no answers for Muhammad Gay, and Muhammad Gay is like the you brought up the Utah loss, and it was very similar in that they could stick Brandon Carlson out there from 
not just like 10, 15 feet out, but all the way to the three-point line, and they forced Umar Balo or Julius Tabellas to just get out of the interior. Could not defend anything at the rim uh, as, as much as they'd like to. Same thing for Muhammad Gay. Now, I think Kyle Smith uh, underutilizes Muhammad Gay a little bit just because, like, most of Muhammad Gay's shots are like jumpers, which is crazy for a dude <laughs> who's seven foot tall um, and has that kind of size and athleticism. Um, so a lot of Muhammad Gay's action gets at like you know kind of at uh, like at the high post or you he's, know on a tur- he's saving the playbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, later in the season. Nice. Yeah, d- didn't want to throw it at Arizona, the top <laughs> two. Back you don't want to waste it on Arizona. There's bigger fish bigger to fry. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah maybe i don't know it was bizarre but They're saving Muhammad it for cal yeah <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad gate cooked anyway he had 24 points off nine for 19 shooting uh he had how many rebounds they had 14 rebounds three assists yeah, felt like uh, a one lot, block yeah. two steals he padded the stat line uh was awesome offensively when he got stuff going took uh, took some dudes off the dribble sometimes like Muhammad gay you're like you watch him and you're like, this dude's like a leg- he's gonna be an awesome NBA player. It feels like just the way he can take dudes off the dribble at seven foot tall, the way that he did against Arizona, uh, cooked Azulis Tabellas on one particular possession. Uh, Azulis Tabellas, I'm not sure if you all saw in the post game press conference, they asked Azulis uh, Tabellas, <laughs> uh, hey, uh, yeah, what, uh, how difficult is it to try to guard a guy like Muhammad Gay who can who's that big and who can shoot and do all this other stuff. And Azula Sabella simply says, not difficult at all. At all. I'm like, <laughs> you got cooked. <laughs> Insane so thing about, to say when you got beat like Ajula that. Sabella is, he's, he's not a defensive player. Like we've, we've known this, like he is a primarily an offensive threat threat. And so like using him in defensive situations just does not work well. And that's why it was, like it was fine with Christian Coloco last year because Coloco could make up for like all those defensive mm-hmm. errors that Azulis Tabellas would make. But like you can't just expect Tubelis to like pick up the slack left behind for um, Coloco leaving. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Bill Walton kept calling him a center, which made me laugh. Um, yeah. Bill Walton does I not. I mean, know he's ball. got the size of one, but he's not. Yeah, he doesn't really not. play like one. Mm-hmm. He plays like a like a like a stretch four, um, yeah, which is weird considering he doesn't shoot very much. Were One you say thing, Greg? yeah. So like we we talked about how Muhammad Gay uh, stuffed the stat sheet. Those were like legit numbers, you know, actually impactful numbers on the outcome of the game. You look at Tubelis. Tubelis had bigger numbers, but I felt like after watching that game. Uh, it was really, really empty. Like a lot of yeah. those came after the game was already over, uh, and I think that's just another thing. Like uh, Washington State did a better job defending him than the numbers would. The, the numbers make it look. Yeah, I think Washington State had a, 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 their hands full of the Julius Tabellas because after Mom mm-hmm, and Gay, they course. really don't have a ton of size, um, and so they couldn't really throw a ton of dudes out there. I actually saw an interesting. Uh, tweet from Jason Shear, and I think he was half joking, but I actually sort of think it worked out, was basically like Washington State doesn't have any dudes for Julius Tabellas and they've got no answers for him, so like unless they're going to like try to double team him or do some, or throw something weird at him, they're basically going to say, here's 30, try to beat us. And he, they kind of did that. And I think that's why it felt somewhat empty for Julius Tabellas is they were, Washington State was like, yeah, okay, go ahead. Here's your, here's your shots. Get them. Uh, Azulis Tabellas finished with uh, 29 points off eight for 29 for 20 shooting, which isn't terrible. Got to the line a lot. But after that, off 
offensively, uh, Arizona had nothing else. It was bizarre mm-hmm. to watch Omar Balo get get uh, worked the way he did by Mohamed Gay defensively. Mohamed Gay on defense was really impressive. Uh, Arizona's offense just kind of fell apart. And this is uh, this is now the second time that Arizona plays a physical, somewhat under-talented, but well-coached defense and gets cooked. They finish with under one point per possession again, just like they did against Utah back in, what was that, uh, December? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Is it, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask, uh, I'll kick this one to Avery. Like, is it time to worry about Arizona? <laughs> I think that depends on if Cal keeps cooking. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I I still feel like the ta- the drop off from like what we think the top two teams are, um, Arizona and UCLA, and like the rest of the Pac-12 is still big enough that I don't think this is going to like put them in a terrible position. But I guess I could be wrong. Are we gonna talk about how they almost lost to UW? <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> like, we absolutely have this to. This wasn't I think an anomaly. That factored into this game. Yeah. I, I think I think that factored into this loss to Washington State in that they needed every single second to be Washington and in fact were trailing for most of that game. That I, I, I imagine when you've got to play forty full competitive minutes against a team and then you've got another team that's gonna be pretty competitive against you, that's gotta take a toll. Um I cannot imagine that it didn't take a toll, that Arizona was a little bit tired, uh and Washington State it's not a pushover team. So I absolutely think that matters, and you know they didn't look good against Washington. It really felt like with uh, against Washington, UW was very comfortable playing. UW plays fast. They also play an up tempo style of basketball, especially uh, these last few years. And it felt like Washington sort of knew what to do uh, against that kind of pace. It almost felt like they were like, yeah, we practice against this, and so we're just going to play really good transition defense, and they did every single time. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess uh, Greg, are you are you concerned about Arizona now? They had a shaky, like Avery said, a shaky win against Washington. They got blown out by Washington State. Are are you worried about them? I am concerned because I don't think, like, I don't think these are flukes. I think these are sustainable issues. Like these are issues that Arizona will continue to have as long as teams try to exploit them. Uh, it's just so easy to see what's happening to this team. And you see what they lost, and it's like <laughs> the drop off is just so clear, you know. Like when things get bogged down and they can't go at the tempo they want to go to, you don't have a Ben Matherin to just get a bucket because he can, you know. And then on the other end of the floor, you don't have a Christian Coloco to es- to erase all of Tubelis's defensive mistakes or anybody else's or Kirk Reese's defensive mistakes. Um, you don't have Ben Matherin, you don't have Dalen Terry on the outside to lock guys down when they're engaged, of course. Uh, and this this year, like Arizona's still a great, great team because they have Tommy Lloyd as their coach. And I just think at this point, like if Tommy Lloyd's your coach, I guess you just have a floor of being a top 25 team. But uh, I think their ceiling for me is is lower than I thought maybe two weeks ago. I think these issues are going to be things that will bite them come tournament time. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of in agreement. It feels a little like the losses of Ben Matherin and Christian Coloco and Dale and Terry are really starting to be felt right now where they don't really have guys that they can throw defensively at, at anyone. You know, it's like Dale and Terry was a really good defender because he's so athletic and Ben Matherin, 
didn't have to defend that much or wasn't asked to uh, because he was carrying so much of the load offensively, but athletic enough to do that. And a lot of defense is just being more athletic and trying really hard. Um, same thing for Christian Coloco. Uh, so that's that's coming up now. Uh, Washington State did have a really efficient game in terms of points mm-hmm. per possession. Um, so I, I and The other thing about this that I, I'm worried about Arizona, but I'm also a little like, Washington State does this sometimes where they get they shoot a, a an abnormally high percentage of their threes. We know Washington State loves to fucking just throw they they love to jack up as many threes as they possibly can. Uh that's how their offense is designed. That's how that's Kyle Smith's philosophy. He's like purely in the analytics movement where he's like layups or three-pointers and that's it. Um and they get a lot of threes as a result. They happen to go 12 for 28 from three in this game against Arizona. That's 43%. They're averaging, oh, I'm going to have this up here right now. They are averaging 36% from three, which is pretty good. But, you know, it's a bit of a, an anomaly. 43 to 36 is a pretty big gap. So, and Arizona themselves, <laughs> we can get into this. I have I have theories and thoughts about this. They went four for 25 from three, but I don't know. I'm I'm... I'm a little sort of like, you know, Washington State probably just got a little hot from three. Arizona went a little cold from three. Now, I think Washington State probably forced Arizona, just like Utah did, forced Arizona into a bit, a a few too many threes than what Arizona and Tommy Lloyd would like. Um, But they were still missing them. So I don't know. It's weird. Very weird. Any other thoughts about this Washington State Arizona game? Uh, We're we're well on pace, I think, for the for the Washington State Pac-12 tournament championship run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and they're missing some key guys that have a possibility of coming back. Like Deshaun Jackson is going to – he was out, I think, with like an eye injury or something, and he's out indefinitely, so we don't know if he's going to come back. But if he does, that's another big guy that's like a good defensive big that they can throw at a bunch of guys, and that is – going to be really interesting and really important uh washington state to their credit this is not a fluke win for them they have been really competitive against some really really good teams they should have beaten ucla back on december 30th absolutely they had that game in hand they were really close with arizona state probably should have won that game although that was a little less sort of convincing they uh had had that really close loss to baylor had that really close loss to a really good unlv team lost to Utah in overtime. Like these are they they're playing really tough. Uh they're a few points and a few bounces the ball away from flipping the record. They're seven and ten right now. They could be ten and seven. They could be they could be frankly eleven and six. Um which would not be in bad not be bad position given the the schedule that they have. So anyway, gonna be interesting to track them because they are they're gonna be they're gonna be a pain in the ass. Uh it sucks that they looked so bad in non con and are starting to pick it up and pack 12 plays goddamn teams i'm so sick of when they do this shit <laughs> all right let's move on another consequential matchup that uh that almost led to another pack 12 power falling ucla escaped poly pavilion with a win over usc 60 to 58 ucla actually led this game at the half 44 to 26 it really looked like they had the game in hand but usc tightened up the screws defensively uh, that to open the half, they held UCLA to just six points in that first 10 minutes of the second half. Um, eventually, USC ended up climbing the mountain to take a two-point lead with about 32 seconds left. Uh, but some ho- heroics and a clutch three-pointer from Jalen Clark put UCLA ahead for good. 
uh, becoming the last remaining Pac-12 team with an unbeaten record in conference play. And uh, meanwhile, USC dropped to 11-5 on the season and 3-2 in conference play. This was a bizarre game to watch. Uh, got really close to the end. Greg, did you catch this game, and what did you think of it? It hurt to watch. <laughs> it, <laughs> okay. It, it hurt to watch with just how offensively inept UCLA looked, you know? USC just shut him down for most of that game. And, like, I'm still sort of in shock that a team that I thought looked so badly off bad offensively managed to win that game. Uh, it's a shame for USC's sake that uh, they shot so poorly. Uh, <laughs> 3 of 16 from 3 in that one, you know. Uh, you're not going to win any games when you <laughs> shoot like that. And to lose a game by two points when 1-3, one, 1-3 three, one, three was the difference. Uh I feel bad for USC because I do think that was a very impressive game from them. Avery, did you get to watch much of this game? And uh, what did uh, you think of it? I did watch the first half and then I stopped watching because I figured <laughs> it would be a boring game and I played Breath of the Wild. I have been playing Breath of the Wild like crazy this week and I didn't realize it was happening because I was playing Breath of the Wild until I checked my phone with like 15 seconds left in the game or something and I was like... Oh, I have missed a lot. So unfortunately, (laughs) I need to be better about that. But from what I saw in the first half, UCLA looked really great. And from what I heard about the second half is that it was not great. So that's that's really man summary analysis. Yeah, that's exactly how uh, how I would describe that. UCLA at uh, 16 points had 16 points in the second half all of it uh they they looked brutal uh they looked absolutely That's brutal insanity. in this game yeah it it was a horrendous offensive performance this is the second time now where we've seen UCLA an, an opposing team with some talent tighten up the screws defensively in the second half make some adjustments and then and then uh UCLA's offense just falls apart that happened against Illinois earlier on in the season if you were um weren't paying attention back then this is an ugly game usc really mucked this shit up uh ucla hit went nine for 26 from three pretty respectable you'd think ah that's not bad would they shoot from two they shot worse from two than they did from three they were 11 for 32 from the two um it was a, a not a good look no one shot particularly well um jalen clark had a had a good defensive game but uh he was five for 16 shooting uh, two for seven from three and three for nine uh, from inside the arc. So it was a it was a a brutal performance. I it felt like they were just all out of sorts. Got absolutely nothing going. Really got fortunate at the end to to have won this game. Just because I think offensively they got nothing going. Um, and USC was like, I, I would not say that USC had like some sort of offensive surge. They just sort of were like producing their average and decided the way we're going to win this game is if we can get UCLA to go through an insane scoring drought. And they did. And it worked. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it was a, it was a weird, ugly game. I thought, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you like Reese Dixon waters was awesome in this game. Uh, but like, I couldn't tell you outside of that who contributed. Uh, I was like, Boogie Ellis was, he was all right. He had 10 points, I guess off of what? 11 shots uh drew peterson has kind of not been good all year wasn't great in this game he went uh i guess four for eight is pretty respectable for nine shot for nine points but uh but it was mostly just the fact that usc's defense locked ucla up uh it was it was a class from ucla but it was also just 
really good defense from USC. So uh, I I don't know. I, I'm not too concerned about UCLA at this point just because I did just watch Arizona struggle against UW and then lose to Washington State. UCLA beat Washington State, uh, barely, but they did beat Washington State, and it's going to have to be that game. That's that's how teams are going to beat Washington State is barely. So I don't know. Well, we'll see. I, I, I'm not sure it's a harbinger of things. It's a rivalry game. USC was really up for this game, but, uh, you know, here we are. And uh, both coaches not happy with their team's performances. If you watch the post game <laughs> press conference, uh, Mick Cronin very upset, uh, pissed off, said his players were selfish, et cetera, et cetera. Andy Enfield uh, said Boogie Ellis was basically a moron. Um, so <laughs> that's something he was IQ. See that. Like, yeah, he said uh, he's like, oh, it's like with Boogie Ellis, it's like a maturity thing or an IQ thing. I don't know. <laughs> Isn't Can't Boogie say- Ellis like a junior? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's he's. He's, so he's up like there. twenty-one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of an rough, thing to man. say. Can't say, is... can't say IQ. I mean, like IQ. You can't really say IQ, <laughs> I especially when talking as about a black society, players. We'd graduated past that, but apparently I feel like not. maturity maturity is an okay thing to say about freshmen and maybe sophomores, but IQ. Do not use IQ <laughs> yeah, against so your bad. POC players. Yeah, can't. can't. She's such a yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's not Dumb. not a great comment there, Andy. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So yeah, UCLA goes on, stays undefeated, and uh, USC drops to eleven and five. We'll see. Uh, all right, next game that I have here that we can talk about. This we can talk about that. This one super quick. Uh, Utah got handed their first Pac-12 loss. Oregon beat Utah seventy to sixty in Salt Lake City. Oregon had control of this one pretty much from the jump. The only time the Ducks trailed was the opening minute when Utah went up to nothing. After that, it was all Ducks. Um, Utah did cut the lead down to about, I don't know, was it three late? Um, but Oregon pulled away to beat Utah by 10. Avery, did you get to watch much of this game? Do you know what happened to Utah? Um, I did watch this game while well, I was on in the background, but it, Utah just played terrible. I feel like we've seen this from Utah multiple times this season where they just genuinely look bad i feel like when they played against byu is an excellent example of them just like playing like shit but also this happens literally every time utah plays oregon i i liked your tweet carlos you compared it to the stanford curse that the hold that dana Dana altman Altman has on like utah and mick cronin it's this this is literally every oregon there was like one close oregon utah game in was it 2019 2020 where it went to overtime and i think that's like the only time i can remember utah like playing seriously against oregon in my existence so the the dylan brooks flop game too yeah (laughs) yeah that one too but it's yeah this is like typical utah just sometimes plays really ugly i feel like even in their good games they have to play like an ugly type of ball, but they like drag the other team into playing ugly like them. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And then they're just the only ones that look ugly. And that's what happened against Oregon is they looked really fucking bad. It was bad, bad, bad. Greg, what about you? I know you watched this game pretty intensely. What what did you think of Utah? What happened to them? So I think this one was a little different than the BYU game. uh, Because like in the BYU game, I thought Utah just sucked. Utah was real bad. But, but in this game, I thought it was a lot more about Oregon forcing Utah into into being bad. Uh, Utah looked terrible because of the things that Oregon was doing to stop them, which is the concerning thing for me as a Utah fan because it means you know other teams might be able to take some lessons from that. 
specifically in the way that Oregon was double teaming and sometimes even triple teaming Brandon Carlson, Utah had no answers. It was it was hard to watch uh, um, Oregon every time Carlson got the ball in the post. Uh, immediately, they would have at least one guy flying towards him. Just he could not do anything because he kept bringing he kept bringing the uh, the ball down, and uh, it just uh, wasn't working. It like he kept losing the ball. Double teaming Brandon Carlson is a cheat code against Utah because he refuses to not bring the ball down, and every time he brings the ball down, he loses it. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, and and given the fact that uh, Brandon Carlson is so much of Utah's offense, not a bad strategy. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, force Gabe Matson to beat you. Force. Uh, oh no, Lazarus Raleigh Wooster's taking an open three. Oh no, right, right. Uh, Mark, <laughs> Mar- if Marco Anthony's getting it outside of like fifteen feet, it's probably not going to be a great possession. So that's that's sort of the problem with Utah. And it, this is you've talked about this uh all year greg just the fact that they don't have a ton of offensive talent um guys who can score guys who can get their own shots guys who can make shots like you do need that uh obviously you can rely on ball movement to a point but um defenses are going to be pretty good ramped up in the pac-12 uh you got to you got to be able to create some easy shots for yourself and utah struggles with that they don't have guys who can beat other dudes off the dribble and get penetration and try to create something try to create some uh, some opportunities for other people. So it's kind of, kind of brutal. Anyway, any other thoughts about, uh, Utah? You feeling worried about them there? We talked, we've been talking them up all year. They come in, they lay a stinker against Oregon, but they did beat Oregon state. They beat them by 19. Yes. They struggled with them for most, for the first half of that or so. Eventually they ended up, um, pulling it away. But are you, are you worried about Utah? You feel like, uh, they're going to, this is going to start the start of a, a, a slide or is this just an Oregon thing? I've been worried about Utah. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is a thing that Oregon forced them to do, but I don't think it was a hard thing for Oregon to do. I guess like Navali Dante and Khalil Ware are gonna like be better than most bigs in the conference. Um, but you don't have to be bigs to double Brandon Carlson because if he's gonna bring the ball down, you don't have to be seven feet tall to trouble him. Uh, Will um, Will Richardson at one point just like just stole it from him and will richardson's not that big uh so i think this is this is definitely very concerning for utah uh i i think they have more losses like this in their future here's the thing about uh i'll say is that oregon is i don't know one of the four most talented teams they'll play in the pac-12 um mm-hmm. they they do have some talent like i i know that oregon is like not a good team but they are 66th in Kempom despite all of the issues that they've had this season, despite all the injuries, despite all the bad losses, despite, despite the fact that they're nine and seven, uh, they're actually, sorry, I'm looking at this 58th in Ken Palm. This is like maybe it's a talented team. I, I don't think Oregon is a, a, look, Will Richardson, one of the seven best players in the PAC 12. He's even having a pretty good year himself. And Napoli Dante, a really good player. Uh, he would start at almost every PAC 12 school. Quincy Guerrier, uh, another player, Khalil Ware, like they've got a ton of size, a ton of talent. Um, and some of those guys are barely starting to, they, they themselves are injured. So I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I want to panic about Utah, but Oregon is just, it's a talented team. They have Utah's number. It's just one of those things that I'm, I, I guess I, we'll see. They got to play Utah might come, might be having a tough stretch here. They've got to play 
UCLA and USC in Los Angeles next week. Then they follow it up with a game against Washington State. It's at least in Salt Lake City. Then it softens up a little bit. They'll get um, Washington at home. They'll get Oregon State in Corvallis. They'll got to play Oregon again. Stanford, Cal, Colorado. They'll get a nice middle of the uh, conference play to pad their stats. But I sort of feel like, you know, stay competitive against UCLA. They absolutely have a chance to beat a pretty poorly coached USC team. Uh, I'm not ready to panic yet, but I could I could see I could see why you would. We some of the things that talked just genuinely have a talent issue, Mm -hmm. and that's very apparent. And it's probably like the root of most of their problems. I completely agree. Until uh, until Utah has a scorer, like a guy who can, or just even a creator who isn't Brandon Carlson, you know, like somebody on the perimeter, it's just going to be very very hard for them. Uh, The defense is fantastic that's sustainable uh i'm not worried about that getting worse through pac-12 play i think it's just legitimately great but the offense is just it's rough and it 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 feels like every time lazar stefanovich makes a shot it's like a blessing (laughs) yeah it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be happening every time raleigh wooster makes a shot doesn't feel like it's supposed to be happening marco anthony can't be the best scorer uh, I guess I should say the best uh, non-big scorer on a good college basketball team. Lots of things to figure out, but uh, again, putting into perspective, they're one, they're one win <laughs> above their win total from last year and one win above their conference win total from last year still. Absolutely a successful season. Plenty of basketball to play. They are going to get at least minimum five more wins to add to that. They have a real shot at 20 um, on the season, so... We'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. All right, that's uh, those are the three big games that I thought we could talk about. Let's go on to our next segment, peak of the pack. Every week we look across the league to find the teams that had the best week. So, Greg, get us started. Who wins uh, peak of the pack for you? I mean, there's there's only one answer, Cal. <laughs> well done. Uh, <laughs> My goodness, uh, they've gone from irredeemable, unlovable sewer monsters to redeemed. <laughs> unlovable sewer oh, monsters. Wow. Let's calm down a second. Hold on. <laughs> I still hate them. In fact, I hate them more than I did before uh, yeah, because annoying. of what they're doing to the Pac-12 and because I'm going to have to watch Cal games now. But You don't uh, have to watch them. You don't have to watch them. <laughs> what if they're good? We're not at that point yet. They're not good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, good for them beating Stanford by a lot. And like, maybe we can give Stanford an honorable mention because this has got to get them closer to firing, uh, firing uh, Jared Haas. All right, Matt's in the chat lurking, and he's uh, he's itching to get in here for bat. So, hello, welcome to the basketball. Hi. Episode. <laughs> what what is this? What are you guys doing? We're talking basketball. <laughs> Why do you do that? Because it's, we do it's that. fun. If you're just going to come out of your shit about basketball, get the fuck out. I'm not. I'm, I was, thought we were doing an enjoyable bit here, sir. Um, yeah, I have a peak of the pack. Can I have a peak of the you pack? You can have a peak of the pack. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, listen, very simple to, to talk about this here. I think that we need to be very clear. Gonzaga's trash, y'all. Like, I know that... <laughs> There's nothing to no, do no, with yes, the pack. Yes, it does, because I know that Tommy Lloyd did not have a good day yesterday. But it has never been more clear to me that Tommy Wood was unquestionably the sole architect of present-day Gonzaga basketball. (laughs) And this man is going to make Arizona into a national title contender probably this season. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you heard. Nope. (laughs) 
Matt, they and, lost, uh, like, was that yesterday, two days ago? D- does he know? Plenty of Gonzaga fans <laughs> made sure that they had to, that to tell me because it was very, I decided to try to tweet about it. And get, Apparently there's Gonzaga fans out there. Do you guys know that? Uh, yeah, they no aren't real. You don't have to listen they're, to them. No idea. They're, they're fucking annoying. Yeah, they're, they're really annoying fans. I, 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 I am very familiar with Gonzaga fans, and I swear <laughs> to God, for for a fan base that has experienced zero joy except heartbreak, I'm I'm shocked that they're so confident in themselves. The Tommy Wood narratives are are high. They're, they're still good. They uh, they absolutely <laughs> are. Only one home loss. Yeah. Uh, my peak of the pack. I'm going with Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, they are a fucking zombie team. Beat the shit out of, of Oregon. Like, non-competitive this game. 27-point uh, win for Colorado. They won that game 68-41. to 41. Uh, That At no point, it was a wire-to-wire win. At no point did Oregon ever have a lead in that game. And then they followed it up with a, a, a ho-hum beatdown of Oregon State. They got a, a sweep of the Oregon schools after losing to Cal. Colorado is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of eight. They're seven and one in their last eight games. Their one loss was to Cal. <laughs> I don't like. Uh, uh, I, I'm I I don't know what to make of Colorado. They're pretty good, but maybe they're not. I KJ Simpson, an awesome player, top five player in the Pac-12, maybe top four. He's gonna be all conference Pac-12 uh, by the end of the season. All conference is gonna be on the all conference team at the end of the season. He's a dark horse for Pac-12 Player of the Year if his team didn't have so many early season bungles, bungles, bungled some early season games. I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I uh, I have to give it to Colorado the way that they have I guess bounced back after getting humiliated by Cal. Uh, I don't know. Frankenstein zombie team. Anyway, Avery, who's your uh, who's your peak, peak of the pack? I'm just gonna completely ignore that they lost to Arizona State this week and give it to Washington State. Um, because they had a dominant win against Arizona, and they broke the 28 game win streak at the McHale Center that Arizona had. So I think that's pretty fucking cool. First home loss for Tommy Lloyd. Something to be proud of if you're Washington State. Yeah. They were somewhat competitive with Arizona State, but I mean. Uh, Look, they, they that was a road trip to Arizona, and they split it, and they split it with like the better team, and they lost to maybe the worst one. But Arizona State's a uh, pretty good. Um, it was an impressive. Th- I'm going to give another peak of the pack honorable mention. Arizona State they swept the Washington schools. They Washington, I guess, competitive. They're going to compete against some teams. They were really competitive against Arizona. Got their asses kicked by UCLA, and and kind of got their asses kicked by USC, but. Um, I don't know. Washington, they they can make some teams sweat, I guess, sometimes if they're hot. Uh, and then they beat Washington State, which is a competitive team. I don't know that those two wins will get them as much credit as they deserve, but right now, not bad. They've kind of redeemed themselves for that from that really ugly San Francisco loss that happened late December. Uh, had that Arizona loss, but like it's somewhat excusable because it's Arizona's a pretty good team. So they will get a nice home stand against two very garbage teams in Cal and Stanford. Oh, no, they don't. That's Washington State. Who does Arizona State get next? They get... The Oregon schools. Oregon schools. Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon, Mm. a good test for them. That's... Yeah. I I hate to say this about both Arizona State and Oregon, but mostly Oregon. That's a uh, potential resume builder for Oregon to get into... (laughs) 
uh, had to, to, they're on the bubble. They're they're in contention for a bubble spot. Oregon is, which is crazy, crazy to say, but they are. Um, so we'll we'll see about them. Any other peaks of the pack for you? I think that's it. I'm not sure. Did anyone else? UCLA, uh, I guess. For USC played well defensively. I, I guess know. so. <laughs> yeah, we got a if, we got a Frankenstein league here. If Utah Valley University is in the Pac-12 footprint, do they get to be the pack of the peak of the pack? That is the second you are on the bas- you are on the basketball episode for the first time, Matt. That's the second fucking non-Pac-12 team you brought up. Do you watch? <laughs> do, you, do you watch every other fucking college basketball program except the Pac-12? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Really anyone Utah else you want to talk about shit. UNM? UNM lost to fucking uh, UNLV the other day. You want to talk about them, Matt? I mean, we can. UNLV Guys, might be UConn a better team next year. UConn lost two games in a row. <laughs> UConn. Yeah, My beloved Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> Tracking uh, Sam Houston State. They just uh, they just beat Tarleton State. I don't know if you know Listen, that, Matt. The WAC is good. Okay. The WAC is a good <laughs> basketball conference. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, all right, well that is uh, that's peak of the pack. Let's let's talk some shit. This is what we're best at. That's let's what I was just in doing. Little, uh, <laughs> in a little <laughs> segment that I call the humiliation hub. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know this, Avery. I, I just oh, came up with new. this name. Yeah, it came up with this name off the top of my head. I already know Avery is going to be like humiliation <laughs> hub is cringe. I don't know why we said it like that. I'm gonna be like, well, why don't you no. decide then? I wasn't gonna say that. <laughs> I don't know. We can do. It sounds weird. It sounds weird. It does sound like weird. it does. It sound sounds weird. like a kink site, and I think we can do better. <laughs> That's true, Chris. Hold on, say it again. I, I might be interested now. What, what, what's the what's it called again? <laughs> sorry, sorry. What, humiliation what, hub. <laughs> Matt's not listening, except he heard it sounds like a kink, and then his ears burned up. Anyway, oh, I think good, maybe good back to, to the drawing board next week. We we might have something better. Yeah, uh, shame, something with shame. The mm-hmm. shame sh- sh- shack. The shame shack. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. I mean, less than humiliation. I think. Uh, anyway, let's talk some shit. Uh, this is reserved for teams that also have a bad a week who you think deserve some shape. <laughs> so, great start us off. Who's in your uh, humiliation hub? Stanford. Yeah. Easy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. if Cal keeps beating teams, it'll just be whoever they beat. Um, especially considering some of us, not me, thought Stanford was going to be a tournament team. Who would say that? <laughs> Ridiculous take with Jared believe. Haas as their coach. No one would say that. The call is coming from within the house, Greg. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. I certainly would never believe in a Jared Haas coach team. Not me. Oh, uh, definitely not the guy. You, def- Greg, definitely did not pick Stanford to be the third best team in the Pac-12. No, did sir, not. I did not. <laughs> I would never. Oh, uh, you weren't alone. Everyone thought Stanford was going to be good. Not uh, I mean, <laughs> we were all like, uh, except for Greg, we're sort of like, but Jared Haas sucks. Like, yeah, he's got a ton of continuity. He's got a ton of talent, but like, who cares? Like, he's a terrible coach. Uh, he is a terrible coach. Uh, Stanford got its ass kicked by Cal. Stanford, uh, before that Cal rivalry game back, uh, back in 2022, December 31st, uh, got beat by Utah, got beat by Colorado. They're on three game losing streak now in Pac 12 play, and they do not look, uh, competitive at all. Um, I, I don't, I, I, I don't care that their competition has been uh, pretty tough. The, when you lose to Cal, you immediately sort of and when you get when you lose like that to Cal, you eliminate any sort of like argument that you just played a tough schedule. You you've literally played the easiest 
team in in all of the Power Six, all the AQ conferences. So, uh, garbage, absolutely garbage shit from um, from Stanford. Any other uh, teams that we ought to talk shit about? Teams that we think deserve 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 some shame. Uh, did we mention Arizona? Uh, because yeah, we talked about them at I length. Mean, but yeah, they're another one blown out by Washington State and almost lost to Washington. I think they deserve to be mentioned here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oregon State, I guess. Uh, I don't really love shitting on Oregon State because I know they're rebuilding. The expectations for them were so low this year. They're at 7-9, and nine, which I think is better than what we expected them to be, but really non-competitive against Colorado, non-competitive against Utah, non-competitive against Oregon. So they're on a tough slide right now. Their next projected win. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, what, what, what game do you think, if any, Oregon State is favored in? Have they mm. played Cal already? They play Cal twice. So probably against Cal. Yeah. yeah. Just just that one in Corvallis. They have a 58% shot per Ken Palm. That's their last remaining projected win uh, per Ken Palm. So yeah, that would get Woof. them to 10 wins, maybe. Wait a second. Uh, Cal just matched last season's Oregon State win total. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear God. Uh, <laughs> you know what the you... worst part about this is they are now, what, two and three in conference play. They have two <laughs> conference wins after fucking sandbagging for two months. They had so two months bad. to do literally anything. is a war criminal. What a fucking he needs to be. He needs to be dealt with swiftly. Is, oh, my God. I hate this. It's like, I'm over here trying to be like, yeah, we got four tournament We got four tournament teams. We're probably going to get All of them are going to have a loss to Cal. And, <laughs> and they're all going to fucking lose to Cal. Uh, yeah, Cal beating Colorado is the one that hurt the most of, of all those. But, uh, God, fucking annoying Cal. They're so... They play hard. I will say that. Like, despite... <laughs> Despite some of the 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 best intentions of Mark Fox, Cal does play hard. Uh, they play hard for him. So there's that. I, I, I hope that he's addition. just a really nice guy. I have another addition for the humiliation hub. Um, Dan Lanning's tattoo. Ooh. Okay. All right. Hang on. Are we gonna are we gonna do that in the basketball episode? We're just gonna no. Pivot to that I'm already? just foreshadowing. All right. We're uh. gonna foreshadow. We'll have a we'll have a deep dive analysis that should have been in our on our programming tees we have a deep dive analysis on patreon of dan lanning's <laughs> real tattoo. sicko shit yeah don't say anything <laughs> don't say anything. We, got we got it save it <laughs> save it save it save it all right that's it for our humiliation up pac 12 player of the year coach of the year we're i don't know 55 percent through the season now we haven't really had a serious conversation around player of the year and coach of the year and i just want to do a quick pulse check on these two awards just kind of keep tabs on them see who's uh I don't know, at the top of our lists. I just thought I'd ask y'all now, uh, as we're 55% into the season, right, getting right into conference play, who you would pick as your Pac-12 Player of the Year. Avery, we can start with you. Is there a player that sticks out to you as your front runner for Player of the Year or, or a player you think deserves it the most right now? It's probably a Julius Tabellis. Is that like too easy of an answer? Is that what all the media people are saying? That's probably yeah, boring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the favorite. I mean, but that that I think highlights, I think people don't know that, People would, might not know, but you know, Azulis Tabellis is the front runner at this point, or one of the front runners. I don't know if he's my front runner, but he's certainly one of the front runners. Yeah, he's had a pretty good season. Uh, really efficient offensively. He is averaging. I'm gonna look up his. Uh, I don't know why I have. Even his... in games where he looks bad, he's still getting like at least 25 points. It feels yeah. like. Yeah. 
his defense is like clearly the issue, but on the offensive side of the ball, he he's fantastic and he's one of the best players in this conference for sure. Uh, 20.6 points per game off of 57% shooting. 44% from three. He doesn't really shoot many threes, but 44% there. Nine rebounds, two assists, steal a block uh, to add to it. So, no, uh, uh, had a really great year. I think a lot of that, I don't know, I, I have I have... I have gripes with him being the Pac-12 player of the year, but I think I understand that he's like probably a, a, a favorite pick right now. I would say maybe the shine is a little bit lost now that they watched Washington state lost to Washington state. Although, you know, they, he, they, they did not lose because of Azulis to And in some ways he kind of kept him in it, but that's not a bad pick. Greg, what about you? Who's your pick for Pac-12 player of the year right now? I mean, Jalen Clark, Jalen Clark. Okay. Yeah, he's just, he's so, he's so good. <laughs> yeah yeah he's I, I, uh, go ahead i get frustrated watching azulis tabellus because like defensively i feel like not only is he bad but he he could be way better like he, mm. he he doesn't have to be as bad as he is like guarding muhammad gay against washington state there were times where muhammad gay made him look silly but uh a lot of the reason he looked silly was because he just wasn't trying uh, whereas I've never felt that way with Jalen Clark. Jalen Clark always feels like he is giving it his everything, and his everything is really fucking good. So uh, for me, it's him. I I think I'm also on the Jalen Clark train. I think uh, Azulis Tabellis is a better, more polished offensive player than Jalen Clark, but not by much. But Jalen Clark is the best defensive player in the Pac-12. Uh, mm-hmm. He is much. He is. So much better than Azulis Tabellis is defensively. He is a defensive monster, is constantly in passing lanes, is constantly wrecking shit. He's constantly getting uh, steals. He's all over the place defensively. And offensively, he's really stepped his game up. Like He's uh, he's a much better ball handler than he was uh, last year, and he was already improved last year. He's a better shooter. He's He makes really good decisions. Advance, advance, per some advanced stats, he's number one in the Pac-12 in box plus minus. He's number one in defensive box plus minus. He's number one in defensive rating. He's number one in steal rate. He's, uh, and I think he might be top 10. He's number 11 in total rebound rate. Uh, he is, uh, he's number four in offensive win shares. He's number three in win shares. He's number one in defensive win shares. It goes all on and on and on and on. And you'll see Azulis Tabellas at the top of these lists too, but um, I just think Jalen Clark is both the best two-way player in the Pac-12, but also the best defensive player and like a top five offensive player in the Pac-12. He absolutely should, in my view, if we care about defense at all, uh, be considered ahead of Azulis Tabellas for Pac-12 player of the year. But that's a, a good pick. That's who I'd, I'd have. Any other uh, Pac-12 player of the year contenders that are rattling around in your brain? Uh, I think those two are cut above everybody else. Uh we talked about KJ Simpson a little bit. I don't think he's going to get it, and I don't think he's going to be like seriously considered. But you know, deserves a mention. Same with Brandon Carlson. Yeah, I think those two are good picks. I think Jaime Hawkins also has a real argument. Yeah, he fair is, enough. He is as good of an offensive player as as Azulis Tubelis is, and a pretty good defensive player. Like I think he's because he's had to carry a little bit more of the offensive load, is doing a little less offensively. But it's still a, a really good defensive player. He's third in defensive win shares. He is sixth in defensive box plus minus. Um, if analytics matter to you at all, he is, where is he at in defensive rating? He is number three in defensive rating. 
So I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I, I, I tend to think that Jaime Hawkes is getting consideration. If you went by Ken Palm, Ken Palm actually has it. Uh, one is Julius Tabellis, two Jaime Hawkes, three Jalen Clark, four KJ Simpson, and five Umar Balo. Um, I, I, I think I throw Ballo's in another one. He's another one. I throw in Brandon Carlson as a, a real contender. You mentioned it. He has to do so much for that Utah team offensively, and is also a pretty good defensive player. Um, so he this is the second year in a row now where he has to carry that load. Except this time he's he's pretty healthy. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's go on to coach of the year. We have a couple contenders, I think, probably. Avery, let's start with you. Who do you think would, should, could win Pac-12 coach of the year this year? Uh, It's so hard for me to gauge coach of the year in basketball because I feel like it usually just goes to like the best coach, (laughs) like the coach of the best team. Um or like if there's serious improvements, which I don't think there's going to be any teams that like really, really improve from last year. So I think it's just going to go um, to either Lloyd or Cronin. Okay. I don't know. That I, I just have no... Who did it go to last year? Was it... It was Tommy Lloyd. It was Tommy Lloyd, oh, right? Oh, that right. That's right. Well, I Tommy Lloyd like, is a first-year coach. There was a turnaround they, factor there for him. Yeah, but they were also like the best team in the conference, probably. (laughs) So I feel like that's usually how it goes to. And there's no one that I see that has like the turnaround factor happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, unless somebody wins the tournament, I I disagree. Greg, Craig Smith. Yes. (laughs) He is close to the top of my list right now. Yeah. Like I would give it to Tommy Lloyd. Okay. I'd still give it to Tommy Lloyd because I think what he's done this year is incredibly impressive. Losing Coloco, losing yeah. uh, Ben Matherin, and while there, ha- while we can see the drop off, Gonzaga uh, is trash. Gonzaga <laughs> is trash. Well said, Matt. Um, I'm helping the argument. Why are you- don't silence me? Uh, Arizona is like just an elite team because of how they play, and he is the reason for that. Uh, and then with. Craig Smith, I don't think he's going to win it because I don't think Utah's good enough, and part of that is on him uh, because I just think he could have done a better job bringing in talent in his first two years. Uh, the transfer portal like additions have been lacking, I think. But uh, the turnaround from last year can't be denied. I mean, they're already had they've already had a better season than last year. You want to look at like the defense last year statistically, the defense was just atrocious. It was so terrible. much of last year was injuries, though. But injuries, too. This year, it is a top 25 defense by most metrics, I think. In terms of, like, field goals allowed, I'm pretty sure it's top five uh, in the country. They are number three. Utah is number three in effective field goal percentage allowed. Last time I checked, also per hoopmath.com, they were number five at percentage of uh, the field goal percent opponents field goal percentage of shots at the rim. So mm-hmm. really and good, and great defending team. the three point line too. Like I think uh, top five. Yeah, it's fantastic job defensively. And when you look at the players they have, like Brandon Carlson's a good rim protector, and then they've got a bunch of players who will work hard defensively. But you don't have any guys that you would think of as just like, oh, that's like that guy walks onto any team and he's their best defender, you know, which you, you might expect for a team that defends this well. So I think most of that credit goes to Craig Smith there. So he, I think he deserves a mention. I, I think he is, oh, he is so close to being my front runner. I've got a couple of front runners in my head and I don't know who to pick, but he's close to my front runner. I just think 
he does have the improvement factor from last year. He, if, if Utah gets to 20 wins, it should be Craig Smith. Uh, like, I don't care whether they get in the tournament or not. Even if they get a top four seed in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. tournament, yeah, I, I feel like that's that's enough to, to from what he had to deal with from last year and how bad they often look to getting 20 wins. That is a remarkable turnaround. So I would not. Uh, he's up there. Mick Cronin, I think, is if UCLA continues on this tear they're on right now where they're beating mm-hmm. everyone he's going to have a, a Tommy Lloyd case around like, yeah. uh, yeah, best team. This is best team in the Pac-12 by, by a good margin. Um, if UCLA beats the, it beats Arizona twice. Uh, I think it's Mick Cronin's like, he's just gonna, he's going to win it. Run away with it. The other one that I'm thinking of, and you're neither of you are allowed to fucking laugh. Bobby Hurley has a real shot. Uh, oh God. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, Arizona State, 13-3. and They look pretty good. They were close to being ranked. They're top 60 in Kempom, but might actually rise. Uh, Oh, they have not played Cal yet, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would certainly tank his his candidacy, but we've already forgotten about the Texas Southern loss. Texas Southern is still bad, (laughs) by the way. They have not gone on any sort of run that has made us think otherwise. Um, But I, I don't know. Arizona State plays really good defense they have a top 30 defense per Kempom. pretty good at most of the metrics that not as good as utah but pretty good um in in many of the metrics that greg cited offensively still a little bit of a disaster but uh i don't know everyone seems to be gelling well enough for it to work i i, I arizona state is gonna they're, they're gonna garner some some uh recognition and i think bobby hurley will probably be a part of that it's not a it's not a bad team right now um so I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see what Arizona State looks like. Uh, I'm sure it'll sort of all come out in the wash by the time we get through another 10, 15 games. It'll become clear, but that's that's kind of who I'd have right now. Any other coach of the year, I don't know, considerations. Any love to Tad Boyle for losing all that he lost and then having Colorado maybe looking pretty good again. It's the Deion Sanders no. effect. I won't let it. <laughs> uh, anybody who loses to Cal should be on the hot seat for the rest of the year. No consideration <laughs> for coach of the year at all. Okay. It's a good point. I don't care what Don McLean is telling you. Uh, <laughs> no, no uh, consideration. Yeah. To tw- but uh 20 win tad still on the still oh, on shut the fuck up shut up he's still <laughs> i don't want to hear it st- <laughs> uh Kempom has colorado projected to finish 19 and 12 one short of 20 they're they're right there uh they're within oh a stone's throw of another 21 season would be the wildest 21 season i think uh, uh 20 win season ever all right well that's it for pac 12 player of the year coach of the year you got any other thoughts uh over uh, listener dear listener send it to us over twitter at no truck stops pod uh we'll engage y'all in your pac 12 player of the year and coach of the year thoughts all right let's move on to make some game picks all right how about an update greg on uh, wooden's weekly winners so, with our new uh, podcasting schedule, I don't think we are finished yet for this oh. week's farm. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe... I, I can't tell. I'm stupid reading the form. One of the teams still has to play. Okay. <laughs> um, two of the teams, actually. Uh, or, or Anyway, really? I'm a dumbass. The person okay. who's leading... 
<laughs> is Bombino. Uh, that that is that is the name they have given. Uh, now, Washington and, and Arizona State already played, so it should yeah, be update, over now. Updating. Jesus, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. Arizona State uh, won. They they are they're winning. Uh, eight out of twelve. <laughs> Okay. Good job, KG. Right behind him because KG's a god. We know this. Jesus Christ, uh, man! Football and basketball sickle. My God, <laughs> <laughs> he can't miss. He he never misses. My um, God. Jesus. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure how that affects total points because I haven't gone in and like populated the spreadsheet. That's on me. Normally, uh, it's done before Tuesday, but next week it'll be better. Great. All right. Thank you, Greg, cool. for showing showing up and planning to be better. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, we'll see if I actually do. So let's, let's find out. <laughs> All right, loaded schedule this week. I've got six six games for us, so let's try to be speedy about this one. Starting on Thursday, January twelfth at six Pacific, Arizona State traveling to Eugene to play Oregon on FS1. The Ducks are favored in Ken Palm by three. Greg, who wins? Who covers? You know, I think there are enough similarities in how Utah plays and how Arizona State plays. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Oregon to win and cover. I think it's a similar game, mm, okay. even though they don't have the same curse that Utah does. Grapes. Yeah, I feel very similarly. I do not know where Arizona State um, gets points from. I'm still confused about how the points appear when they play games. So <laughs> I definitely think that Oregon's gonna win this game. Great. All right. Also Thursday, six Pacific, Colorado traveling not to picking LA. That game. Oh, yeah, I am picking that game. I'm picking Arizona State. Uh, yes, I think you're right. There's some similarities between Arizona State and Utah. The issue is that Arizona State has, like, dudes who can score by themselves. Um, That's good. Frankie Collins. Yeah. Frankie Collins, Devin Cambridge, Desmond Cambridge. I'm I, I, feeling, feeling weird about Arizona State yeah. right now. We have a little bit too much love. They're probably going to disappoint and uh, <laughs> completely wreck all that. Also, Thursday, 6 Pacific, Colorado, traveling to L.A. to play USC on the Pac-12 Networks. Trojans are two-point favorites in Kempom. Avery, who wins, who covers? Uh, I think USC is going to win and cover in this game. Okay. Greg? This is tough. Uh, it's not in Boulder, so I'm also going to take USC, but I don't, I don't feel strongly Colorado could absolutely do it. If it was in Boulder, I would take Colorado. I'm taking Colorado. I think they are better coached than USC is. I think they have a slightly more balanced roster. I don't know. I'm, I, that's, a, that's a tough one for me. I think Colorado does it. Um, and if they do beat USC, we're going to have a, a lot of conversation around Colorado and their bubble candidacy. It's going to be very interesting this, this whole weekend. Uh, okay, another Thursday night game, 8 Pacific. This one's on the Pac-12 Networks also. Utah traveling to Westwood to play UCLA. The Bruins are 12-point favorites per Kempom. Greg, who wins, who covers? It's tough. Uh, I think that UCLA is just built to play in the mud that Utah wants to drag you into. Uh Utah drags you into that mud, and then Jaime Hawkes just makes three straight elbow jumpers. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, Utah fails to get Brandon Carlson the ball effectively three possessions, and the game's over because Utah can't go on a run. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'll take UCLA to win and just barely cover. Great. So what about you? 12-point favorites per Kempom. Who wins? Who covers? I think UCLA is going to win, but I don't think they cover. I think I'm in agreement with you. I kind of think... I kind of think Utah's covering 12 points. I don't know if they'll actually get that per Vegas, but 
I think this is going to be kind of a competitive game. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think Utah's going to have a moment where it's like, oh, okay, these dudes are for real. Like, they're, they can they can play. All right, Saturday, 12 Pacific. Colorado plays UCLA uh, in Westwood on Fox. UCLA, again, 12-point favorites. Grapes, who wins, who covers? UCLA is going to win and cover. Okay. Greg? UCLA, yeah, I think wins and covers. I have less faith in them than I do Utah. I mean, I have less faith in, faith in Colorado than I do Utah, even if Colorado, I think, is a more talented team. Yeah, I think I'm about the same with y'all. Uh, I think UCLA is... I think Colorado is just a... Uh, they're a Frankenstein team. They can beat anyone, but not uh, not some of the, the better teams in the Pac-12 like that. So give me give me uh, UCLA to win and cover 12 points, if that's actually what it is per Vegas. Oh, okay. Also, that Saturday, 3 Pacific. Uh, Grapes is yawning, so we got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Is there a time we can catch you where you're not yawning? No, I just am <laughs> <really> sleepy. <laughs> uh, Saturday, 3 Pacific. Arizona traveling to Eugene to play Oregon on ESPN2. Wildcats are three-point favorites on Ken Palm. Greg, who wins who covers? I see this game going two ways. Oregon wins a very close game where they just make life hell for Arizona or Arizona absolutely just beats the shit out of them and I can't decide which one's gonna go it's like it's like trying it's to t- figure out if Kirk Reese is gonna be good or bad this week yep <laughs> and you know I'm feeling bad vibes from Kirk Reese so I'm gonna take Oregon <laughs> I feel the same way I don't think Kirk Reese is gonna be good and I feel like Arizona's still gonna stay in their rut that they've been in so are you both picking Oregon to win yeah yeah why not my goodness, I think I kind of agree. <laughs> I, I this this is a bellwether game. This is uh, the if, if most Oregon wins in, this, <laughs> the most important game of the season for Arizona. If they lose this game, we are going to have many many serious conversations about Arizona, their season, the direction of the season, its potential, its missed potential, all that shit. I kind of think Oregon does it. They're slowly regaining health slowly regaining some coherence and cohesion they're starting to look like they're gonna put it together i and it's in eugene yeah give me give me oregon it's gonna be gonna be interesting all right last one late night on our saturday this one's gonna be a lot of fun usc hosts utah at 7 30 pacific on the pac-12 networks usc are two point favorites avery who wins who covers i think utah's gonna win this game Hmm. okay i don't know why but yeah okay Greg? I agree with Avery. I think, uh, I feel like I do have a reason for why. Uh, and that reason is Brandon Carlson. Uh, I think this game is going to be ugly because, I mean, we've seen both of these teams defend well and struggle to score. And I just have more faith in Brandon Carlson managing to find offense than I do in anyone on USC to do the same. So I'm going to take Utah to win and cover. Or, of course, if they win, they cover. Yeah. I've got... I think I agree with y'all. I think Utah... USC struggles when they've got to play well-coached teams, and I think Utah's a well-coached team. Um, Now, Utah never seems to pull away early and never seems to beat the shit out of teams early they always do it late so if usc gets off to a fast start might be might be some trouble for utah but i kind of think uh i kind of think pressure's on usc here i i'm picking i'm picking utah to win this one it's gonna be that was gonna be a fun game i'm i'm really interested in a lot of these games we got a really interesting slate of pac-12 games all right that's it i think we're gonna 
learn a lot about the league by the next time we talk. Um, Very glad we're in conference play now. Is there a game from this slate that y'all are most interested in watching this weekend? Ooh, I think Arizona-Oregon. Yeah, That is very interesting. Uh, Yeah, I've got to say the same. It means a lot Uh, for both teams. I, I agree. Utah UCLA is sneaky interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's intriguing. Good test for Utah. Uh, Utah Colorado is probably the best uh, with UCLA and USC. Maybe Arizona Arizona State. I can't tell which of those is a, a harder weekend to have to deal with. But anyway, that's it. That's it for our show. If you're looking for football talk, we got that over at NoTruckStops.com. Well, including a deep dive episode into Dan Lanning's tattoo. But for now, enjoy basketball season. It's been very weird and fun so far. We look forward to covering the rest of it. Uh, Let's get out of here. That's Avery. That's Greg. I'm Carlos. That over there somewhere is Matthew Bertson. Thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. We have a special guest joining us to talk about Utah basketball. Uh, We've got Andrew Crowley from the Running Hoops podcast. Uh, They uh, talk, Andrew talks extensively about Utah basketball there is a Utah basketball fanatic and follower and good uh, analyst of everything Utah basketball. Thanks so much for joining me, Andrew. Carlos, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, Utah is having uh, kind of a uh, a resurgent season, I would say. At least that's the way we have talked about it on the No Truck Stops podcast. Uh, They are now 12-4 and as we record this. This will drop uh, Tuesday. We're recording this Friday, January 6th. Uh, they have exceeded now, I think, their win total from last year. They have exceeded their conference win total from last year. And it is, we are just wrapping up the first week of January. Lots of basketball still to play. What's been, uh, we've got many theories, right? Injuries and uh, development. But like, what's the biggest thing you think has resulted in this improved team from 2021, 2022? Yeah, I, I think. Marco Anthony said it best in the postgame last night against Oregon State, and that is that guys are accepting their roles on the team this year. You know, uh, the last couple of years of Utah basketball, whether it was under Larry or now under Craig Smith, I think you had a lot of guys just out there trying to get theirs. And uh, it seems like those guys have kind of been flushed out of the program a little bit. And you've got guys that have bought into what Craig Smith is trying to do. They've accepted roles and they're really excelling and uh, the team's winning as a result. What do you, how's that represented in the way that they play basketball? Is it that they're just passing more offensively? Is that they're better together defensively? Like what, how does that actually look like when you watch them play basketball? Well, I think the offense runs through Brandon Carlson in the middle, you know, he's having an all conference type year right now. And some of the, the secondary guys are, are picking and choosing their spots uh, where they shoot versus I think the last couple of years where you just see guys kind of huck it up when the going got tough, you know, the, 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 uh, the mark of a, of a Utah team when the going got tough the last couple of years was, okay, we're going to shoot ourselves back into this. And it doesn't matter if I play center or if I play point guard, you know, I'm, I'm going to shoot it. And so I think there's that. And then you've got guys like Marco Anthony and Raleigh Wooster who, even if they're not scoring, they're impacting the game in other ways, whether that's rebounding or assists or other things like that. And it's just a to me, it's just a little bit less selfish team, I think, that we're seeing out there this year. Yeah, you mentioned Brandon Carlson. We'll get to him extensively because he is uh, he's had a great season, but also had a great season when he was healthy last year. So I'm, I'm curious to ask about him, but we'll put a pin in him for a second. Is there a player that you think has emerged as a 
that was on the roster last year that you that you would say is the most improved that you've seen the biggest strides from from this team? Well, I definitely think Brandon Carlson himself has emerged in, in a lot of different areas. I know you said, well, we'll get to him. But I really like what I see out of Lazar Stefanovic. You know, he's been maligned a little bit by some of the fans at times, but he's accepted this role where he comes off the bench and he still manages to get, you know, 25 minutes plus per game. He's figuring out the shooting. He attacks the basket. I, I really like some of the strides that he's made this year. Yeah, he has been a a, a, a pretty impressive shooter this year. Uh, definitely, some he's, he's emerged clearly from my eyes. You know, being someone who doesn't watch Utah every single game, but watches a fair uh, several of their games, uh, it definitely feels like he's been a a bigger factor offensively for them. So I think that's a, a I think that's a completely fair pick. Is there? You know, the the question I had also was about uh, Kebakeda. He's the newcomer here. He's one of the newcomers for this Utah basketball team. Uh, true freshman, super athletic. What have you seen from him this season? It feels like he's kind of shaping, uh, impacting the team a lot in terms of his def- what he brings defensively. But what have you seen from him? Like, what, what's been what stuck out for you? Yeah, well, between Kebakeda and Will Exact Jr., they look a lot better in the layup line and you know getting off the bus in, in, into the arena. But I, I just think they haven't had a guy with his athleticism in the middle in so long. And, you know, he had a moment there against uh, Stanford where, you know, they tried to get a high layup off the glass and he just, he just erased it. And it was at like the top of the square. Right. So it wasn't even, you know, under the basket. And, and so I just, I I love his athleticism. There's no wasted movement when he gets Mm. the ball inside, it's just up and in, right. There's none of this, you know, I'm going to do the 1990s power dribble, thing and try to get the ball up it's just catch and in and uh and so he's been real impressive and he's been he's a force on the defensive end as well yeah he's been uh he's i think he's uh, i'm gonna sort some stats here i think he's number one on the team in defensive box plus minus yes he is um so he's clearly he's uh he's been one of the most impressive uh, young centers, I think that the, the Pac-12 has. So um, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm curious. We can go back to the other big man, uh, Brandon Carlson. He is having, as you mentioned, an all-conference season. It's to be very interesting to see how the all-conference team, actually the first team, shakes up uh, because you've got some really great centers in this league. I am of the opinion that he's probably first team all-conference at this point right now. If the season ended today. What has been different about what he how he's been playing? Because he was he was a uh, carried the load offensively for Utah last year. Was a pretty decent defender last year. Obviously had a ton of injuries. Is it just a matter of him being healthier or something else going on that you've seen uh, him progress in his game? Yeah, well, I definitely think the health is a big part of it. Um, I have Brandon on my podcast every couple of weeks, and so I get to talk to him kind of through the season and kind of get an idea of where he's at, you know, mentally and physically. Um, I think he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's done some things, especially in the last couple of games against Stanford and last night against Oregon State, where he'll get the ball and he'll split a double team and either pass out of that or get a basket. He hasn't done that, you know, historically in the past, or he'll get it out to a, a wing for an open shot. So I think he's playing with more confidence. He's he's playing smarter. He's tougher. You know, he, uh, Chris Burgess, the the new coach, the new assistant coach, I think has had a big impact on him. And honestly, I think going up against a guy like Kay Bikeda in mm. practice has helped him prepare for some of these other more athletic 
centers in the league. Yeah, and uh, it, uh, it's clear that he is. Uh, I, I, it was hard for me to to tell how much of him being better is just he doesn't have to deal with COVID and appendicitis and a leg injury, right? And how much of it was just true uh, over season over season progression. But that point about Kebakeda is right. Uh, Kebakeda is a is a force offensively, and we get to go against a guy like that. I mean, he's a he's had a better season than uh, you know UCLA's very highly touted five star freshman. Uh, a Dembona at this point. And uh, it's a, a pretty, it's pretty good when you've got a guy who can sort of match that, that level of talent and production that you're going against. So I think that's a, a point well taken. Uh, would you say Brandon Carlson is the runaway MVP of this team? Like, is he the one who you would say is uh, the, the one that Utah needs the most? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, from a production standpoint, when, when he, when he isn't producing, they don't win. Right. Like they, they had a game earlier this year against Mississippi State where Mississippi State got real physical with him and really, you know, took him out of out of his game, out of his rhythm. And they lost that game. The offense scored 49 points or something like that. And so I definitely think he's he's kind of the engine that makes this thing go. Now, all that said, you know, Raleigh Wooster is really a steady hand in the backcourt. And Marco Anthony is obviously just a, a steady hand. He almost to the point where he looks disinterested. He's so calm mm. out there, <laughs> right? It's interesting. And, and so, but yeah, I, I would definitely say that Brandon's the MVP of the team so far. Okay, I think that makes sense. And he's going to. I mean, uh, would you would you have him on your first conference all uh, all Pac twelve ballot right now? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, when you when you line him up against the other centers in the league, you know. We talked about this a little bit on Twitter. You know, Muhammad Gay is is right there. I think and Fale Dante for Oregon, who they're going up against each other on on Saturday. You know, that's going to be a good matchup. But yeah, I mean, I think he's I think he's right there in terms of you know obviously just the raw statistics, but the impact. You know, went went head to head with Omar Balo, played pretty well, right? You know, took him outside, shot, you know, made a bunch of threes on him, so. I definitely think that he's right there in the discussion for first team. Yeah, uh, I think he will uh, at least end up on one of the all Pac-12 teams. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting conversation between whom, him and Umar Balo. And, and if you were to ask me, I think I might put Brandon Carlson up there first. But, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Utah basketball fans. And how does the how does the fan base feeling about it? You know, I know it's been a kind of a pain point over the past several years around engagement around Utah basketball, especially since it's such a storied program. How has how have fans responded to Utah's improvement? Are they catching up yet? Do you think there's a bit of a lag time? Like, what do you think is the environment around fans and the energy around fans around this team? Yeah, I think fans are starting to pay attention. You know, okay. fans fans are very much, and this is not unique to Utah, but fans are very much. You know, what have you done for me lately? And when in the case of the the running Utes, you know, they haven't been to the tournament since the 2014 2015 season, or maybe 2015 2016. And so, you know, it's been a couple of years. The the rise of the football team, I think, has had a huge impact on that. And then, you know, just not winning enough games it has just really impacted, you know, the way that fans look at this. I think they're starting to come around. I think the next, the next big thing is the student engagement, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got an on-campus arena in Salt, in, in, you know, on campus in Salt Lake you should be able to have a thousand fans or a thousand students stumble in there on a given Wednesday night for a basketball game. And so I think that's the next, the next step is really, you know, they, they get 8,000 out for 
the football games from the mus, right? Yeah. You, they, they've got to be able to draw a couple thousand or, you know, a couple hundred even for the basketball games here as the season goes on. Yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, this. Uh, I've heard on Twitter, I think people kind of see it and, and don't don't know if I, they quite understand. I'm not sure if I quite understand it. The issue with like uh, the even for big games like the the seating at uh, the Huntsman, uh, I know that there's some issue with, I guess, uh, ticket holders kind of hang on to those things and don't go to games like what's would you mind walking us through a little bit what that problem is? Yeah. So so a couple of years ago, because of the attendance problems that they were having in basketball, what they decided to do was was drop curtains down and curtain off the entire upper bowl which then, you know, gives you a, it's a nice little lower bowl setting, but you've got a lot of season ticket holders that have those tickets. And so the tickets are technically sold, but they're not necessarily using them. And so Mm -hmm. you turn on a Utah game and there's just red, red, red all over the place, empty seats. And, you know, the immediate reaction is, oh, our fans suck, right? Like they're not coming out to the games. They're, they're terrible. And then when you kind of, you know, peel that back a little bit, it's, you know, there aren't very many tickets available. Now, there are some mm-hmm. for sure, but there just aren't very many tickets available, you know, versus what's not being used. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a, a, an issue right now where season ticket holders have tickets and are not using them. Yeah, it uh, it, it was kind of a surprising thing to me because I'm like, sometimes I'll watch Utah. I was like, hey, this is a pretty big game going on here, especially this season. Uh, Utah's looking pretty good. They've had uh, some really great moments and you know, sort of turn on the TV and I'm like, Oh, what is going on here? And, uh, obviously some of the folks on Twitter have, uh, clued me into what was happening. And so it was a, it's a really good explanation. So I, I appreciate that. Sure. But what do you, uh, we've got, a you know, we're halfway through the regular season. We've just started a conference play. If you were to project out into the future right now, Joe Lenardi has Utah as one of the last four in into the tournament, which is, you know, uh, I think a big step forward, <laughs> a really rapid step forward at this point, Projecting out uh, by the end of conference play, when they play Colorado, March 4th, 2023, where do you think Utah basketball will be? What do you think their season will have looked like? Well, I I certainly think that they've got a legitimate shot at a 20 win season. And as such, they've got a legitimate shot at the, at the tournament. You know, the Arizona win that they had earlier in the year is going to stick to them all season long, right? Like that's going to be one where people are going to look at their resume and say, well, they've got some close losses, but they also beat, you know, Arizona. I think their road trip next week to UCLA and USC is going to tell us a lot about where this team is. And so, you know, I, I mean, as far as like a record goes, I mean, I do think that they've got a shot at 20 wins and, you know, anywhere from that three to five range to finish in the standings, kind of just depending on how everything shakes out um, the middle of the league is very, very soft right now. Um, you know, I've t- I mentioned I, I have some hot takes on Stanford. I mean, <laughs> they've disappointed. Um, Colorado is very Jekyll and Hyde. Oregon's disappointed. So, so the opportunity is there for, at a minimum, a top half of the league finish, if not a top four finish, which I think probably gets them on the doorstep of the NCAA tournament, depending on, you know, who those remaining wins are against. We're, how, I mean, that's a, uh, we're talking about this as sort of like a, a, a legitimate possibility. They're going to be a bubble team, maybe for the vast majority of the season. I'm not sure if you asked anyone that anyone would have thought that about Utah this year. 
Uh, t- tell me a little bit about what you expected coming into this season. Uh, has Utah met those? I mean, I'm sure they have maybe met many of those expectations. And what would feel like a successful season now, now that we're halfway into it? Yeah, I had them at around 18 wins going mm-hmm. into the season. I thought that I thought that at a minimum they would double their win total from last year uh, in conference because they had four wins in conference last year and they played and they played uh, Cal and Oregon State twice. Right. So I thought right there you'd have four wins and then you just have to pick up a few others uh, elsewhere. I mean, it's funny because when you look at how things shook out in the month of December, I don't think anybody had them starting two and oh against Arizona and Washington State. Right. You would have taken a split there and then probably a split against BYU and TCU to kind of, you know, vault them into, hey, can we finish six or seven or eight? Right. and, you know, my, my expectations have certainly adjusted, you know, based on how they're playing, but also, as I mentioned, based on how the rest of the league is playing. Um, you know, I had uh, – here's a, here's a nice name drop for you. Um, I had Jay Billis on my podcast last year, and I asked him if the Pac-12 had a perception problem, and he said, no, the Pac-12 has a results problem. And, you know, we're seeing that play out this year, but – you know, the, the rest of the league having a results problem could be to Utah's benefit, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that sounds right. I mean, the the middle of the Pac-12 is shockingly soft, a little weird, honestly, if we're being, mm-hmm. being completely honest. We can shift over to talk about the Pac-12. What, what, have, what has been your perception of the Pac-12 this season? You know, you've obviously said Utah has some opportunity there. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts about the middle of the Pac-12? Obviously, you got Arizona and UCLA at the top. Uh, what are your thoughts on maybe Arizona State, USC? You got Washington State there, all those teams. Yeah, just a ton of missed opportunities, really. When you when you when you boil it right down, right? You you kind of I mean, I have these like you know I'm, I'm nerdy this way, but I have these spreadsheets where I track you know each team and what they're doing and who they're playing and their schedule going into the year and their MTE. And all that stuff, and I just it's 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 one missed opportunity after the next for a lot of teams that folks thought were going to compete for the league. You know, USC uh, had a great showing against UCLA, but they went you know one and two in their MTE. Right, UCLA went zero oh and two in in the Continental Tire event. Now they bounced back with the Kentucky win and the Maryland win, and so that's they've certainly kind of righted the ship there. But I just think, you know, tons of missed opportunities across the league. You talk about, you know, Washington State is supposed to have been a team that takes that next step. They lose to anybody with a pulse, you know, in the top 150 of Ken Palm, right? Um, and, so, and so, yeah, I just, like I said, missed opportunities. Utah's not immune, right? They, they had a close loss to Mississippi State. They had a close loss to TCU, lost to BYU on the road, Um the league has got to start getting these games if folks are going to take them seriously and if they're going to be one of these four, five, six bid leagues, you know, heading into March. Well, well that makes me wonder who you think the third best team is in the Pac-12. We have plenty of missed opportunities. We've been kind of having these conversations on our uh, on uh, no truck stops, thinking about well, who who is the third best team? Because we know it's UCLA and Arizona. They've got some great wins. They've beaten some uh, beaten down some some bad to mediocre teams. Who do you think is in that number three spot right now. That's tough. Um, it's really tough. And I'm, and I'm, te- and I'm tempted to say Utah, yeah. but then I feel like that might jinx them. Um, <laughs> you know, I would actually, 
so I, I'll be a little humble here and I'll give a slight edge to Arizona State. Um, I, I, I predicted them to be 11th in the Pac-12 in my preseason picks. Like I just thought the bottom was going to fall out on Bobby Hurley. But the Cambridge brothers that he brought in and Warren Washington, like and Frankie Collins, like they've really meshed better than some of the other transfers that he's had. And so I think Arizona State's going to win a bunch of games in this league. Yeah, I think that's a, a great pick. It's going to be interesting that they play such uh, Arizona State and Utah play such a different uh it's it the, analytically, I think their their profiles are somewhat similar, but they play very different styles of basketball when you actually watch them. Um, I if you were to ask me, I I do think it is Utah at this point. Uh, yeah. They seem to be the most consistent. Arizona State is a is a little I don't know Frankenstein-y and 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 just sometimes they win games based purely on adrenaline, and it's uh it's really bizarre to watch. So. Is there something that you th- that you're hoping improves about this Utah team? This will be the last question for you. Is there something you th- you hope improves about this Utah team, and something you think they need to fix in order to, to have a strong season and to make it into the tournament? I think there, there, there's two things I think that they need to improve on, and one of them they're already starting to show some strides. That's free throw shooting. Um, they were in the low 200s just a few weeks ago, or high 200. Anyway, they were in the 200 to 300 range nationally in free throw shooting and and then turnovers right like you've got to take care of the basketball a lot of the teams in the pack 12 will get in your face and try to defend you and and turn you over and make you quit and historically that's happened to to the Utes when they've played teams like UCLA Oregon um, Arizona you know they're, they're not doing that as much this year they're not turning it over but they've still had moments where it just doesn't, you know, like it's almost like they can't handle success, right? Cause they, cause they have never been there before, if you will. Um, and, and so they get out of what's working for them. They get out of their rhythm and, and they turn it over, you know, TCU really forced them into some bad turnovers. And so that's one thing they, they just got to value the basketball uh, the rest of the season, I guess I would say. Yeah. That's uh, they are fifth in the Pac-12 in turnover rate at this point, which is a big improvement, not bad. Um, but and and actually, just a shade above Arizona, I have them. So, uh, but it's if they fix that, I think that would go a long way. I think there's a uh, plenty of room to grow there. Yep. Uh, that's all I had. Uh, anything that you want to plug? I know you've got a Twitter account you want to plug. Anything you want to plug as we uh, get you out of here? Yeah, so it's the Running Hoops podcast. You can. Get that wherever you get a podcast. You know, when you're done listening to No Truck Stops, just zip on over to to at Running Hoops on Twitter. It's where you can follow me. You can get it wherever you get a podcast. Uh, Brandon Carlson comes on every two weeks or so. He'll be on next week to help preview this big matchup with UCLA coming up. And so just would love to have the listens and the downloads. That's for sure. Thanks so much, Andrew. I really appreciate all that you do over there at Running Hoops, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we get a, a fun season, fun end to the season for Utah.
said I'm lonely. Yeah.